I found that that hut has this amazing lookout point, a sort of five-minute climb up from the hut. There's a little track that goes up, and there's this big flat area. In fact, I'll be taking my tent back and going back there to camp. It looks incredible. You're looking out over all of the East Coast. Just absolutely amazing. And you're there for the sunrise. The sun was just rising up over the over the ocean. It was just stunning. It was. I didn't expect to have such amazing views from the Kaimais because you know you know that it's just big dense bush and so yeah that was just an absolute it just blew me away the, the views were incredible and it was just such a nice feeling knowing that I'd gotten there on my own steam and that you know it was a hard walk there but it was just wonderful. This is Aotearoa Adventures with your host Abigail Hanna the podcast for everything you need to know to travel New Zealand. I talk to photographers, van lifers, mums, students and everyday Kiwis to hear their inspiring stories from past adventures and to share helpful tips and tricks for your travels. Whether you're visiting Aotearoa for the first time and live on the road or you work a 9 to 5 and have lived in New Zealand your whole life, you're guaranteed to learn something to plan your next getaway and get a new excitement to explore more of this beautiful country I call home. So grab your hiking boots, hop in the car and turn up the volume. If you've ever cooked a meal from scratch in the bush, you know how challenging it is. Backcountry Cuisine have solved this problem with freeze-dried meals that are lightweight, delicious, nutritious, and so easy to prepare. With breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert options, as well as vegetarian, vegan-friendly, and gluten-free meals, they have something for every adventurer. Backcountry Cuisine are my go-to for yummy meals on the trail, and I also keep a stash in the van, just in case. For quick and easy meals for all your outdoor adventures, use the code ABIGAIL for free shipping off your next order. That's A-B-I-G-A-I-L for free shipping off your next Backcountry Cuisine delivery. Head to the link in the description to find out more. Kia ora, welcome to Aotearoa Adventures. Today I'm sitting down with Jennifer to talk all about her trip in the Kaimai Ranges. But um, Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself for listeners? Kia ora, I'm Jennifer Silva. I'm in my late 40s. I tramped a lot in my 20s and now I'm getting back into doing it, doing overnights um, after doing lots of walks with my son as he was growing up. So he's now 11 and can handle a good long walk. So I'm getting out as much as I can with him and by myself sometimes. That's really cool to hear that um, it's something that you were doing before and you've sort of got back into um, and especially being able to share that with your kid, that's awesome. Yeah, it feels really good. Yeah, that's so cool. Did you travel much as a kid as well? Um, not in the outdoors as such. Um, my mm-hmm. family, uh, my father is from is Portuguese and I was born in Portugal. Yeah. And we moved here when I was about three. Um, so as a family, we, we went to Portugal, we went to America, um, but we didn't really do any outdoorsy stuff in New Zealand we did do a bit of car camping so I think we drove down to Pawanui and pitched a tent and we went somewhere up north that starts with M that I can't remember which is a pine forest and and pitched tents you know and the cars parked next to it so there wasn't any bushwalking that I can remember there was long arduous Sunday drives but um Mm. yeah the whole outdoorsy thing was, was something that came to me in my early 20s really yeah, that's really cool. And I um had a recent episode talking all about car camping and um yeah, um Morgan did a whole trip of the South Island in a station wagon, which was really cool to hear, I suppose, a different way of doing things. I think back in the eighties it was more just drive, pitch a tent and you're at a campsite and there's luckily there's other kids running around, which 
it was great in its own way, you know, and I sure I think it's probably slightly different now. There's more people out camping and then and it's a bit more of a community feel when you go. Mm, yeah. No, that's really cool to hear. Um, and tell me a bit about what you do for work and how you sort of manage to find time to get outdoors, to go hiking and stuff and balance that with other commitments. Well, I'm really lucky that I'm a contractor, so I'm an employment advocate um, and I can make work fit around me um, and um, I just make it work as best I can. I set my own hours, so if I don't have work, I can go, but obviously I like to plan my things in advance, so I just make sure I get all my work done, really. Yeah, well, it's awesome to have that flexibility. Mm, um, I'm very lucky. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so let's, let's talk about this Kaimai trip. Um, you spent, oh, you'll have to remind me, jog my memory, but was it five days in the Kaimai Ranges? Eight days, yeah. Eight it was days. an eight day trip, yeah. All right, well, I'll just, I'll just let you tell me all about it. Where did this idea start? Okay, so it started, I guess, probably only about six months ago when I started getting back into tramping overnight. Um, so I gathered together rummaged through the garage and through all the boxes to get all my overnight gear out and realized that I probably needed a bit of updating. So I started looking at um, various forums online and realizing that, hey, this is really great, that there's all this information out there about gear back when I was an outdoor instructor. So I trained as an outdoor instructor um, in my early 20s. So I got a job at Youth Town in my early 20s. And I'll tell you a little story about that because it, it sort of, I think, shows um, how much, how little we didn't do in the outdoors as a child. So um, I was at Youth Town, this is here in Auckland, my early 20s, and um, I was just managed, I got a job running the after-school program. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had a lot of energy and I really enjoyed being around kids. So I was running the after-school program and there was a notice board with a photograph on it and I walked up to that photograph and I said, what's that? And the answer was literally, that's the New Zealand I, I did not know what I was looking at <laughs> and so what the photo was actually of is somebody whose uh, job title I suppose you'd call it was adventure therapist mm -hmm. and the photograph was on one of his um, camp or one of his trips where he took sort of the more wayward youth from youth town um, on a bushy excursion I suppose and it was a healing tool of sorts so the minute I heard that this sort of thing happened I knew I wanted to be involved so um, I volunteered as a helper and then I went out on the next trip and that was up to Cuyo Harbour and out to Lane Cove Hut, which is with what we call, what we called then a bunch of at-risk youth. Um, that was a huge eye-opener for me, my first ever trip into the bush and it was first ever trip. I didn't even know about the existence of huts at this point. I remember thinking, my gosh, there's only running cold water. <laughs> Um, but it was an extremely moving experience. I loved the bush. Um, we went abseiling while we were there. I loved the whole adventure of it all. And I loved that the kids were getting quite a lot out of it. We were taking them out of their comfort zone and they were learning a lot about themselves, which I think would have helped, you know, going back to their daily lives, knowing that they could achieve more than they thought they ever could. Mm. Um, so the, the, I was with that leader again, this adventure therapist. He was an American an army trained man and he was quite gruff <laughs> so I decided then and there that that's what I wanted I wanted to do what he did yeah um, but with a softer sort of more feminine more mothering kind of touch yeah. to it all yeah so I ran away from Auckland I went down to the South Island I went to Nelson to train as an outdoor instructor 
I mean, I had a fantastic time down there for a few years, learning everything that is involved with being an instructor. What sorts of activities were you sort of trained in? Like, was it mostly hiking and camping or did you do um, like kayaking and rock climbing and a few other sort of outdoor things? Yeah, so it was it was tramping, kayaking, rock climbing, whitewater kayaking, sea kayaking, caving. And then in the second year, we specialized a little more. So I specialized in tramping and adventure-based learning, which is the project adventure style team building sort of work mm-hmm. I yeah. had no skills in rock climbing I not particularly skilled in white water I loved sea kayaking and I loved tramping so I sort of focused on those so I was involved in that life for about another seven or eight years I worked in Australia and I worked in New Zealand as a sea kayak guide and I, was, I helped out with a lot of camps with youth at risk which is what I wanted to do um, and then Life just kind of became more about, look, I needed to get paid more than I was getting paid. I had to, you know, support myself and it just was more of that became like, it was a lifestyle that was wonderful, but it wasn't a lifestyle that you could support yourself and save any money. So I ended up in Wellington doing a degree Mm. um, and just, you know, became more of an office-based person doing stuff on the weekends. And it was mainly mountain biking at that point that I was doing. That's so cool. It sounds like you've had a a big range of exposure to a whole bunch of different um, outdoor pursuits. Yeah, sort of. Um, I, yeah, I guess I have. I haven't in the last sort of maybe 10 or 15 years because I was doing a degree. Mm. Then my child came along and then, you know, it was just day walks really with him as he grew up. So it's only now that I'm really back into it. I haven't mountain biked for a while. I keep trying to get the family out mountain biking it just seems to be a bit of a mission but it just seems to be easier to go tramping and I absolutely love it so I'm back into it now after sort of 25 years it feels like but it feels like I'm back into it with gusto yeah <laughs> so I've I did a little bit of tramping in the Kaimais uh, probably 20 years ago I maybe done a, did a couple of trips while I was up visiting Auckland in the Christmas summer holidays mm-hmm. um, and I've done a little bit since then in this latest sort of um, foray into tramping and as I've said I was getting back into it I was looking into gear I was really pleased that there was a whole lot of information about gear on the internet because back when I started or when I was doing my courses the only way you could find out about any gear was to ask someone that you knew or talk to your instructors it was very paywalled you either had to you know do a course to find out about stuff or you had to go actually out to a hut and hope that you would run into someone that had the gear that you were thinking about you know it was really quite difficult to find information so I found all this information and I was really pleased to find all this information online. I think we take that for granted don't we that things are we live in the information age now and all of that's just so accessible it's at our fingertips Um, and I can't imagine it being anything any other way Um, but that's yeah I guess it's important to remember it hasn't always been like that. Yeah yeah I mean, you could go into MacPack. You could go into the shops if there was one in your area and talk to those mm. people. And they were usually quite reliable. Um, but if there wasn't one in your area um, or you didn't have time to sort of sit around and talk to them, it was really difficult to find that information yeah. out. Yeah. So when I was doing all of this research into gear, which I've done an awful lot of reading on various forums, I realized that there was such a thing called through hiking, which I was a new concept to me. So then I realized that you could do a north-south crossing of the Kaimais and I thought, right, that's what I want to do because prior to that I thought, right, well, I'd love to do Te Araroa. It sounds like it's a really cool trip. I love the South Island. I want to go back there. 
So a plan for a couple of years out from now is to try and do northbound Te Araroa and the South Island. So I thought, well, that's perfect. Sort of seven or eight days in the Kaimais would be a good introduction to this concept of walking for a long amount of time. I think the longest I'd done before was in a group of about 16 of us when I was on my course and we probably did about eight days, six days or seven days. So this was a huge undertaking to do it on my own. And so, you know, it was a huge gearing up for it. Um, and yeah, I thought that it would be great training. And look, it really, really was. I had, a, I learned so much on that trip. You know, there were ups and downs, et cetera. But yeah, I learned an awful lot about gear and what you should, shouldn't do. And I was reminded of quite a few things that I'd forgotten from my training. That's so cool to hear about what you did 20 years ago and, and sort of how you're sort of coming back to that. Um, that's really cool to hear. Break down for me what your Kaimai's trip looked like and all the sort of logistics involved with planning something for eight days. Um, how did food work? Where did you stay? What did you have to sort of plan and organize before you hit the trail? Okay, so I am very lucky to have a quite an understanding partner. Um, and so he and my son walked me in on the first night and we'd all stayed in Mata Mata the night before because I'd chosen to walk south to north. Okay. So yeah. that meant that he was with me on the first night and he'd always planned to be with me on the last night at Daly's Clearing Hut. Um, so the irony needed to take six nights of food. Okay. So that in terms of my planning, I was packing for six nights of food. Um, and I'd been planning this for sort of weeks and weeks and weeks and been gathering all the food and thinking about it and packing it and repacking it and thinking about it again and repacking it. And then I um, randomly got lent a dehydrator. Amazing. A week before I left. So <laughs> yeah. there was this huge learning curve yeah. on how to learning how to dehydrate, dehydrate. So it ended up being some of my meals were homemade. Um, it turns out that some of them were even nice, but they were <laughs> my first attempts. So beef was gravelly and, and whatnot. Um, so... Yeah, I was really lucky that I could have, so my partner and my son walk, walked me in the first night, so they, I made them carry all the food for that, and then I knew that my partner was coming in for the last night, um, but he also surprised me, um, I mean, I surprised him, that when I did get cell reception, I worked out that he was going to meet me on the fifth night, he came into, where is it, sorry, I'm just trying to find the pronunciation, Tiriri Hat. The really atukafia hut, and he bought a whole bunch of chocolate, and, and and he knew that I was running out of toilet paper, so he bought toilet paper. So yeah, that must have been so nice. Yeah, and it was just it was <laughs> it was amazing. And one of the things was just like he took my rubbish out, which was just it actually reduced me to tears the mm. next day. I was like, oh, I don't have to mm. carry all my rubbish. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah, mm, yeah. But in terms of logistics and planning, it was really just knowing what stops I was planning on making at each night. My partner made me um, draw up a little spreadsheet where I had the the date, the hut, and the um, grid reference so that he would know exactly where I was. I had a PLB and I had, you know, my cell phone, but we just knew there wasn't going to be reception the whole way around. So, but that also meant that I had a schedule. So one of the... Um, low moments of of this whole trip was actually on the second day after I left my partner and my child so they turned back and went to the car which was parked on State Highway 29 10 minutes up from Matamata 
Mm-hmm. And then it was raining when we left and it was absolutely pouring when I walked. And I knew that my sleeping or well, my quilt I was using, I knew it was a bit damp from because we'd slept in the te- a tent the night before and there'd been a bit of condensation. So I thought, look, I'll have to stop at Tafari Okiyaki Hut, which is only three hours from the first hut that we're at. So I'm assuming most people, if they were going to do this trip, wouldn't just do a four-hour day the first day. They'd, you know, push on to Tafari Okiyaki. But because I had my child with me, um, I didn't want to make him do an eight-hour day and then an eight-hour day the next day. So I was always planning on, on lunching at Tafari Okiyaki, which was the second hut. And then pushing onto a campsite and then another campsite the night after. And that had been the plan all the way through. Um, but when I got to to Fariyoke Hut, I thought, look, I've only got to dry out my quilt. It just that won't take long. It's a good, lofty, you know, grunty quilt. It shouldn't take long. But I opened up my bag and I realized that my bag had leaked. Oh. And then I realized that my dry bag inside, which I was using as a pack liner, also had leaked. And my my pack actually was working as a water carrier. Oh. So <laughs> That would be devastating. Yeah, it's sort of like the worst luck a tramper can yeah. have when everything gets wet. Yeah. So luckily it's a fantastic place to dry things at Tafari Okay, They've got a huge deck, which is for simply just for drying things yeah. it's got a massive line on it our covered deck so um I lost a day and a half I lost half a day because I'd only planned on lunching there but I ended up staying the night because by the time I sort of got everything out and it looked like it was maybe starting to dry it was only it was three o'clock and it was pouring with rain and thunder so I stayed there the night and then I had to spend quite a few hours walking a lot faster than I wanted to to make up my time and I had one morning where I sort of started at six o'clock in the morning um to make up that time so it was it's quite difficult to make up time in the bush um but I managed to do it and pushed on and pushed on that sounds like it was it would have been or it could have been quite a demoralizing start but it's it's cool to hear that you did sort of push through and you did you know, make up time the next day. Yeah, it was interesting because obviously I haven't done a through hike. I don't know if there's a Kiwi term for it, but through hiking where, or, you know, most hikes, you, or most tramps, you you have a schedule, you've got to get somewhere. Um, and this was like that, but this was just, there was just a lot more riding on it because there were so many days ahead of me. So, the yeah, like I said, there was one um, night where I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and I thought there's no point trying to go back to sleep and I've got to make up time. So I put in a 12-hour day that day. And so, yeah, like I said, it's not easy, but it can be done. And it's really rewarding when you do it. Like I got to one of the campsites that I was supposed to camp at at 8.30 one morning and went, right, I've made up the time because actually I'd probably be leaving here at around 8.30-ish if I'd camped here. So that was a, a huge relief. And that was only two days or a day and a half sort of after that. So, yeah, it was a little bit demoralizing, but, you know, it, it's a nice achievement when you sort of, push through it so yeah there was a 12 hour day um that getting me up to Matatapari hut which was the the next hut on the schedule when I wanted to get there on my schedule and that was a difficult walk there was quite a lot of learning for me in terms of uh body functions and smell and dealing with all of these things (laughs) and so I I thought look I've really got to get to this I know I can probably do a bit of washing there I really needed to wash some stuff because it was getting pretty smelly yeah it just ended up being this giant long walk I ended up being completely chafed and sore but 
an absolute highlight of that of the trip was waking up the next morning knowing that I was rested knowing that I didn't have any more chafing and knowing that I could wash and dry my clothes and then as a complete bonus to that I found that that hut has this amazing lookout point a sort of five minute climb up from the hut there's a little track that goes up and there's this big flat area in fact I'll be taking my tent back and going back there to camp it looks incredible you're looking out over all of the east coast just absolutely amazing and you're there for the sunrise the sun was just rising up over the over the ocean it was just stunning it was I didn't expect to have such amazing views from the Kaimais because you know you know that it's just big dense bush and so yeah that was just an absolute it just blew me away the, the views were incredible and it was just such a nice feeling knowing that I'd gotten there on my own steam and you know, it was a hard walk there, but it was just wonderful. That sounds so beautiful. Was that one of the highlights of your whole trip or were there other moments that were just as breathtaking? So when you leave Motatapare Hut and you head over to Tereri Hut, those views are all the way along the ridge. They're absolutely stunning because you get to see both right up and down the east coast and then you're looking out over to the west as well. So you're seeing all the plains and then you can see right over to the mountains almost. I don't think I did see the mountains, but you know that they're they're not too far away. Yeah, I suppose it would depend on visibility and weather as well, how far you can see. Yeah, and the view, so you are walking on a ridge line, and you are walking up some incredibly steep little pitches, but the views are just breathtaking up there. Yeah, that was one of the most um incredible views that I had for the whole trip really and it was just yeah just absolutely stunning. That's so cool. Um, You mentioned that you were in a tent on the first night. Um, Were you carrying the tent with you all along or was it mostly huts the rest of the trip? No you absolutely have to camp on this trip. There isn't um, there's between Tafariokioki and Motatapari there are two nights and there's no hut on those nights so there are designated campsites. I didn't make it to either of the campsites, so I was camping <laughs> in little scrappy bits of the bush. Um, but yeah, the tent situation was interesting. I've got two tents, and I took them both for the first night because my partner and I've got a two-person tent and a one-person tent. The two-person tent's a double-walled tent, and it's heavier by 500 grams than the single-person tent, which is only around 500 grams itself. So my son was sleeping in that. Um, and we were sleeping in the double wall tent because it's not a huge two-person two tent. You know, my feet were up against the wall um, and that's where I got a little bit of condensation on my quilt. But my son was saying that the condensation was so bad inside the single wall tent that when it rained, and it did rain that night, the condensation was falling down on him like it was raining inside the tent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it just sort of drips down. I've had a few tent situations like that as well. So I was always planning, in fact, one of the reasons I did this this tramp was the first weekend of winter and one of the reasons I did it then is because I was waiting for that single wall DCF tent to arrive mm-hmm. and then I made the decision that I wasn't going to take that tent I was going to take the heavier it's only it's not even a kilo I don't think but a, the heavier two-person tent um, and I'm so pleased that I did because it is a tent that pitches fly first and it's a walking a, tra- a tramping pole tent but the inner clips out so you can have the inner and that's dry in a bag and just have that wet outer. But actually, and this is something I learned 
as an instructor, we always used to take, which is unthinkable now, but a uh, like a double mattress plastic bag. You know, when you buy a mattress, there's a big bag that comes around it. Somebody always had to carry one of those because it actually works if you're in a group, say, of six people, you can put the whole plastic bag over the whole group for instant warmth and rain protection if someone's getting cold in the rain. And so you wouldn't think about doing that now because it probably weighs about three kilo. <laughs> but having a tent that you can just quickly pitch the fly and have it go down to the ground was amazing because I got really, really cold on not long after I left the boys on the first night. Um, and it was raining really, really badly. And I needed to stop and I needed to cook lunch because I had a dehydrated meal for lunch. So I just pitched the fly with my tramping poles on it with an uneven pitch of ground. Didn't matter. I had I had somewhere to sit up in that was trapping heat and keeping me from getting wetter and keeping me from getting colder. So I'm so glad that I took the heavier tent in the end. Um, I wouldn't recommend New Zealand that you do you know, in winter have a single wall tent because of the condensation and the fact that if you've got a double wall tent that you can take, you can just pitch with the fly, you've got instant shelter, which is actually an emergency bivy, basically. So, yeah, it was fantastic yeah. to have that. And then you can also keep your inner dry because it's it's not getting exposed. Yeah, exactly. No, that's really cool to hear. Um, and do you, what was the sort of total weight of your pack once you had the the tent and all your food and all the rest of your gear? How much were you carrying? So it was about 13 or 14 kilos. Okay. I think might have been 15 on the first day. Yeah, that's not too bad. And then bad. it went down, obviously, with the food. No, it's not too bad. I do try. I put a huge effort into trying mm. to go ultralight. Mm. Those were the forums that I was reading. But um, as I'm learning, ultralight doesn't necessarily work for New Zealand winter in the bush. <laughs> yeah. So you take a heavy, you need a double wall tent. You're going to need a condensation um blocking sleeping bag etc etc so yeah I mean normally my my I try and keep my pack down to 10 kilos and I know that's not even ultra light that's just lightweight but yeah it was a little bit more for this because this was my first foray into a long tramp and I do like a few luxury items like I had a very good heavy quilt that a zen bivy which is a quilt system I'm a terrible sleeper and I sleep on my side so this gives me heaps of space to wriggle around in and then I take a, a thermarest although it's not particularly heavy but a little chair that turns my thermarest into a chair which is great to have when you're six o'clock in the morning and you're making yourself a coffee and you want to sit up nicely in, in a chair and relax back a little bit so I had a few little luxuries and I, I, I kind of geek out on it I do love gear I love it so much I love learning about it I love learning what luxuries you can create what um, double use you can get out of things and I think the thing with um, camping and even hiking like everybody has different preferences and that's why everybody's kit's gonna look different um, and it's really awesome to sort of read other people's advice and see what was key for them but it might not necessarily be the most important thing for you and your kit um, but what was what was one thing that you had and you were so glad you had it with you so that the um, the Durston tent double wall tent mainly because I could pitch it as a like I said an emergency shelter that was really huge and was there anything you had with you that you were like oh I didn't even need that <laughs> so I was 
really cross with my pack. I bought what I thought was a good ultralight pack and didn't think about the waterproofing. I just, I'm so used to old canvas heavy mat pack packs that do keep out the rough. And it leaked and then the somewhat cheaper, I made a last minute decision to not use the yellow plastic bin pack liners that I've used for a million years and use a dry, big 70 litre dry bag as a um, pack liner and it obviously could not. So water, there was ingress to the, to the, so water got into the pack, it pulled on the bottom of the pack and then obviously the pressure, there was a PSI element going on and that soaked into the seam sealed dry bag. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so now I'm, I'm pack covers and pack liners and dry, yeah. super, super expensive dry bags. Well, that's quite frustrating. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I, I run a, a Facebook group solely to talk about gear and one of the things that I say is do the bathroom test. So if you own a dry bag or any anything that you think is supposed to keep out water, fill up the bath, put a t-shirt, a cotton t-shirt in that bag or a sheet or anything that's cotton and dunk it in and hold it under and then you'll see whether actually it is a dry bag. Mm, that's actually such good advice. Because it's so important and I Somebody once said to me, oh, don't overthink it. It's like, well, hang on. It makes a huge difference when things are wet, when your sleeping bag's wet. It reminds me of um, when I got a raincoat or I was testing out raincoats or something. Um, Mum made me stand under the shower in my raincoat and I thought that was the most stupid thing ever. I was a 16 and thought, why on earth would mum make me stand in the shower fully dressed? Um, but glad I did test it. It worked great. Um, and I guess it's just nice having that confidence in your gear um, before you sort of hit the trail. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, I, mm. I do that with every op shop jacket I buy. I'm like, all right, I'm going to stand in the shower with a little white T-shirt on underneath. Yeah, and it's just, I think, when you're reading ultralight forums of people that walk through dry deserts, it's really interesting because they aren't experiencing what you're experiencing here. And what we have here is incessant rain. I started tramping properly in January of this year and cyclone hail. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I haven't been yeah. on a tramp without rain since. But more importantly, a lot of the people that are posting on ultralight forums and, and you know, where that information is, is not particularly a huge amount of information in New Zealand. I mean, there is, but generally it's from overseas. They're walking on tracks where you can see the sky and mm. there's no bush encroaching on them. So I have had things ripped off my pack that I thought was securely attached to my pack and so you know you're looking at pictures of people with all these things attached to the outside of their pack and no pack cover and they've just got a rubbish bag for a, a, a bin liner for a pack cover pack liner and those things don't last in New Zealand they don't they, they're the potential for failure is so much greater because we have sticky or oh, horrible eaty bush <laughs> oh that's yeah I suppose that's really good to be aware of those differences when you are on online forums or when you're getting advice from other people um you mentioned um that you want to do the Te Araroa or a couple more through hikes but um what's what's sort of next for you or what's your bucket list location your dream trip in New Zealand 
So the dream trip would be to go down to the South Island and have no no responsibilities other than to go tramping as much as possible um, and have no, no limits on my time. So clearly that... I'm sure there's lots of people that share the same dream. <laughs> and clearly that's patently impossible in the next five, ten years. But um, yeah, so that's why I think I... I fell in love with the idea of doing Te Araroa, doing the South Island, doing it um, northbound, ending up in Nelson and then adding in the Kahirangi National Park, which is sort of, I feel like, my spiritual home in a way. I love that place so much. So I think, yeah, to, to give the dream of South Island tramping a little bit of um, focus, I think, yeah, doing Te Araroa, doing it northbound, doing it not necessarily in the height of summer, not the height of winter, but... Um, a shoulder season so that maybe there's less people um, and just adding in a little bit like I said the Kahirangi National Park more than likely the dream finding the time <laughs> yeah I have, I'm sure there's a lot of us with full-time jobs that are in a similar position <laughs> um, I'm currently planning my next my next tri- next trip and I'm really looking forward to it I feel like whenever I get to a stressful week or a busy time at work it's just like okay I need something in the calendar I need something to look forward to <laughs> cool where are you off to um it's still tentative at the moment but um hopefully Auraki Mount Cook um my cousins are visiting from the UK and doing a couple of weeks in a van around around the whole country so I thought that we could fly down and tag along for that section of their trip but um yay that's still tentative like just yeah. crossing my fingers that all the all the pieces fall into place. <laughs> it's so nice to have impetus, right? Like you might not have planned that had your cousin not come mm, and be going that. Yeah. Yard. I love those little synchronicity moments where something just happens. It's like, oh, actually, no, if I could just, oh, if I just get two more days off work, I could just actually tag along with you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. um, I knew they were coming for a couple of months and this idea never sort of occurred to me. Um, and then suddenly I was like, wait, why don't we go join up with them? Like, so easy <laughs> yay cool why Good didn't luck. I think of this earlier um yeah no that's cool you mentioned that you had hiked in the Kaimais 20 years ago um and had anything sort of changed or is the bush exactly the way that you remember it being oh I think that's a good question with a slightly bigger answer um I in terms of tramping in the Kaimais we I remember it being really scrappy I remember getting a bit lost I remember finding Wahini Rock and being completely blown away um, and so I suspect that if we I went back to do that exact same trip the same sort of thing would happen I've been back to Wahini Rock and still been blown away by it but I think in terms of the what has changed in the bush overall in general and something that I've noticed is that um, I've done quite a few tracks lately where I have walked the track and probably around double what the track time is and I've sat back and I thought am I doubly unfit than I was that long ago or what's going on (laughs) and so I think what's happened is that um, the tracks themselves aren't in the condition that they used to be in so there is a huge amount of tree fall that hasn't been maintained and for whatever reason budgets or cutbacks or whatever but there are things now that you need to climb over climb under climb around I've done some walking lately in the Kaimanoas and they must not have been up you know none of those tracks must have been um, maintained particularly well because it was a 
you know, I think if we added a day or I added a day on to a trip because it was just climbing up, climbing over, climbing around. Even in the Kaimais, there were bits where I had to take my pack off, climb under a tree and then pull my pack through. And that's because there isn't the funding to go up here with a chainsaw and cut down the big, or cut sections out of the tree. And when it's wet, it can get quite muddy as well, which can sometimes slow you down. Oh, yeah. I mean, mud is, is, I think, worse than snow in terms of it just sucks your energy. Mm. Just you've got actually literally the earth is sucking you down and (laughs) you've got to pull your feet out. and It's just exhausting. But I think that there's something more going on in terms of the tracks are in worse condition because of the tree fall. The weather's been worse in the last five years than it has I'm sure, in the last 20, yeah, there's more yeah. trees down and it's much harder to get around or up or over or under those trees and that just takes more time. So, Yeah, it's a really interesting observation. I did a track the other day and I was like, oh, I'm on the track time. That's cool. And then I realised it was alpine. <laughs> there was nothing to climb yeah. over. Or yeah. It was just a track, yeah. you know. So I think for those of us that suffer through the bush, we don't have the wonderful South Island big open vistas to walk through. Mm. Um, we really are suffering because just the ma- the maintenance on those backcountry tracks has not been done, and it makes it so much longer. So there are de- there are definitely tracks that if someone asks me, I'll say, "Well, you need to double the track time." Mm. Yeah, well, that's that's good to know. For anybody that wants to maybe do day trips in the Kaimais, do you have any ideas or any sort of short hikes that people can do if they're if they're not up to doing eight days? Yeah, sure. There's loads of them, actually. I'm going to just have to. So the best place that I have been, it depends on what you're into, okay? So there's waterfall walks, there's just straight bush walks. The one that I've enjoyed the most is the Mai Valley tramping track. So that's going in from Tiaroha, which is a lovely little town. Yeah. Um, it is day walk, and it's incredibly good for children. Um, there is old tracks. Sorry, there's tram lines and gold mining equipment up and down that whole valley. Oh, um, wow. But there's some huge inclines, which is just a vertical set of stairs that goes off into the misty misty clouds. There's a couple of those to walk up. So there's huge physical challenges as well. But there's also very e- g- gentle and easy tracks that have got a lot of interesting information and old gold mining equipment on it that really make them very interesting walks. For anyone who's really interested in the Kaimais, I would thoroughly recommend going onto Facebook and joining the Kaimai Kaimai Track and Hut Users group. It is a wealth of information and every question will be answered with very good, useful, relevant um, information that is up to date because the track the park changes. They've just closed a particular track for carry dieback. There's lots of tree fall, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So when attempting something in the Kaimais or any any track, any any park in the country, it's really, especially in winter, extremely important to get up-to-date information. So I'm imagining that every part of the country has got its own Facebook group somehow. And of course, there's really good tramping um, New Zealand Facebook groups. But for me, being a member of the Kaimai Track and Hut Users group was um, a really big part of my planning tools because I could ask questions yeah that's really cool yeah no that's awesome um and I I think I'm gonna have to check out some of those some of those day walks I've done I've done the Te Aroha Summit um and 
got really upset when I um found that there was a road at the top and I was like, you mean we could have driven up here? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's as just pretty an, as I wanted it to be. <laughs> it's just an access road for the um, tower or whatever it is up there. But I was like, I walked all this way. Um, and then I think it's why, I want to say why there falls, but I'm not quite yeah. sure. That, yeah. Is it that one? I think I think that's how you pronounce it. I haven't been down to the bottom. I've been up to the top. So that was part of the north-south track. Oh, that's cool. I haven't been to the top. I've just been to the, the lookout point. But um, those are really cool. I think they're day walks as well. Yeah. So anything that says it's a day walk in the Kaimais is usually well worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to that. And there's lots and lots of entrances to the park. I love talking to people on the podcast that are sort of Auckland-based because it means that they know what's around, what's close by. And someone shared with me about the Te Whara track up in Whangarei recently, and we hiked it just last weekend. So maybe it'll be the Kaimais next. <laughs> it was a great trip to do. I would recommend it. I would recommend doing it the opposite way that I did it. I'd go in, uh, I'd go north to south, not south to north as I did, mainly because... It's flatter at the end if you do it that way. And you, when you get to Tafari Okioki Hut, which would be your second to last night there, it's got electricity. So there's a solar power there, solar bank there, and you have lights in the hut. And then there's a dedicated phone charger with cables that would charge your iPhone and your um, power banks on Android as well, which is very useful on the eighth or seventh or sixth day of a tram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, hearing all about um, your your through hike in the um, Kaimais, um, everything from the logistics and planning um, and some of the lessons that you learnt. Um, I think there'll be some key takeaways in there for everyone, whether they're sort of seasoned hikers or whether it's something that they're just getting into. So um yeah give us all the places where people can find you online um or the facebook group that you run with um tramping gear tell us where people can sort of find you or ask any more questions if they want to know more okay well thank you i've really enjoyed um telling you my story and i'm chuffed that you've asked me to be here so thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> um so the facebook group is just called new zealand outdoor gear chat it's a pretty quiet group at the moment it just seems to be me posting about myself so i'd love it if more people <laughs> joined awesome. and asked questions or shared uh, insights about gear because yeah like i said there's an awful lot of information about gear but it's not specific to new zealand um and i think we need to be discussing things about what we can buy here what is something that we can go and buy off the shelf that is um, a replica of something that is overseas that we can't get here, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, New Zealand Outdoor Gear Chat. If anybody wants to read my blog from the Kaimai North-South Crossing, it's my name. So it's Jennifer with one N walks, and that's a Wix site blog. So if you just type in Jennifer with one N and then the word walks or one word, um, it should come up with my blog awesome. site. Otherwise, I am just Jennifer with one N and Silva, S-I-L-V-A, on Facebook. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I link both the blog posts and the Facebook details in the description so people can find it easily. Um, thanks so much, Jennifer. Thanks. Oh, there's also my YouTube channel that's not very much on it. There's a couple of videos from my um, from the Kaimai trip and that's Jennifer Walks on YouTube as well with one end. Oh, I always love being able to see things visually because it's awesome to talk about these, but it's cool to sort of see what it looks like as well. So 
Thanks for sharing that and thanks for sharing your whole story. I look forward to seeing what's next for you and maybe when you tackle the the South Island of the Te Araroa Trail. Thanks. Thanks very much. I might see you out there one day. While the South Island gets a lot more attention than the North, and for good reason, I do love to hear about some of the trails in the North Island and the adventures that can be had closer to home. Aside from a few day walks, I haven't explored the Kaimais that much, but Jennifer's and stories inspired me to get out there. I really enjoyed hearing how Jennifer started hiking again after taking a break from being an outdoor instructor earlier in her career. Make sure you check out the links in the description for more info or get in touch with Jennifer if you'd like to do a similar trip. Right after we recorded this podcast, there were some track closures announced on the Kaimai Mamaku Ranges due to Kauri Daiba. Make sure you check the official doc website before heading out and always travel responsibly. Thank you so much for tuning in and coming along for the ride. If you love the show and enjoyed listening, please take the time to leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I would also love to connect with you, so send me a DM on Instagram or leave me a voice message, and I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, keep adventuring.